Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Friday, October 23rd, 2020. I am John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Please join us at CommentaryMagazine.com to sample the wonders and glories of our 75th anniversary issue. CommentaryMagazine.com. We give you a few free reads. We ask you to subscribe. There is so much good stuff there and some really good stuff uh, as we approach the coming of the end of the election season. I have a pretty interesting blog post put up last night. Noah, Christine. Christine has a fantastic post about... Uh, this book about incels, a um, lot of good stuff, commentarymagazine.com. Let's get to it. Debate last night. Abe, I think you were uh, the most uh, startled uh, by the debate. Maybe amongst us. I mean, I, I, I thought simply Trump was tremendous. Um, I, I, I thought he came out strong and stayed strong the whole time. Um, the most immediate um startling aspect of this was that he controlled himself. He controlled himself temperamentally. Um, he did not attack. He did not interrupt. He didn't insult um, the moderator. Um, but even beyond that, and that was already um, sort of um, surreal, um, considering everything we know about him, um, he was very focused in terms of his message, very sharp, um, cutting to, of Biden, but not in a below the belt way. I mean, there's the whole issue of the Hunter emails, and which, which I think, by the way, after all this big buildup, constituted the least effective um, part of his attack on Biden last night. But um, there were none of the the sort of Trumpian low blows that we've come to um, expect. Um, his message as an outsider who had to run because he was watching the way politicians were destroying the country. Um, he, has, he has never articulated it, I think, more effectively than he did last night. Um, he had some facts at hand that he used quite well. Um, of course, in other places, he, he took, you know, um, some extraordinary leaps, as he always does. Um, but overall, um, I, I've, never, I've never seen him be as effective as, he, as I thought he was last night. So um, I wrote a column for the New York Post in which I said it was the debate of his life. I think it's very hard not to look at it that way uh, because his back was against the wall. He really could have delivered a knockout blow to himself had he had he mishandled it. He clearly did not mishandle it. Uh, and I, I think he sort of won, won on points. Uh, the problem for him was that Biden didn't crumble. Um I mean, I think Biden weakened in the last half hour, started repeating himself, started getting a little unclear. But but uh, uh, but in the evidentiary standard, or you know the, the 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 basic standard that Biden had to meet, he once again met and cleared and was fine. And the three instant polls that came out uh, last night suggest that if you are planning to if you were one of these people who agreed to be instant polled and they 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 sort them out before the debate that basically it just tracked with your preference in the in the election like you so it was basically like 5342 5241 something like that that Biden won and 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 Trump lost uh, but of course I think it was like uh 20% of people thought that Trump had won the last debate, so he performed much better. But Biden, Biden did nothing to dissuade the people who are planning to vote for him or have already voted for. Well, obviously, can't do anything about people who already voted for him. <laughs> but uh, but but if you if you take those those polling numbers as suggestive, uh, the race didn't really change very much. Christine, where where are you on this? Well, I agree with Abe that that his the demonstration that he is capable of that kind of discipline uh, shows you what a missed opportunity. So many moments of his presidency, not just in debate but just in general, have have yielded. Um, my two favorite moments, actually, the first was when it's kind of like when an actor breaks the fourth wall or whatever third wall, which is it third or fourth wall when the actor talks to the fourth, fourth wall, fourth the fourth wall. wall. So Trump has this this. Uh, 
great skill, and it's, I think, partly why he got elected in 2016, of breaking that wall in politics. And when Joe Biden kind of meandered into his, oh, I'm going to sit around, it, I, I think of it as like the politician's Mad Libs. He's like, I'm going to sit around the kitchen table talking about middle class and your bald tires and community college. And Trump just turned and very calmly was like, that's, pardon the expression, bullshit. I mean, he didn't say bullshit. He said, this is exactly what politicians do. They start talking about the kitchen table because I asked him a tough question about China. And that was brilliant. That's exactly what people liked about Trump in 2016. The other moment was when he pinned him to the wall on fossil fuels and fracking. He did the job that the moderator is supposed to have done in these previous debates and that the media refuses to do. Joe Biden bald-faced lied about his position on fracking. Um, and the although there was this surreal moment of, you know, two uh, septuagenarian guys screeching at each other to post it on your website, which was kind of hilarious. But, you know, Trump then, the next, you know, immediately tweeted out a whole bunch of video clips showing Biden had, had just lied to the American people. So I loved those two moments just because there was a glimpse of, of, that that as you said in in one of your uh, your column earlier this week, John, in the post, um, the sort of special magic that that Trump actually does have, um, and so that it was interesting to see that. But I agree. I mean, I think it, it, the debate's not ultimately going to matter for the election, um, but it was. I do think it did show some of Biden's weaknesses, and he really was flagging towards the end. I mean, he was calling the complaining about the poor boys and meandering, and he looked tired. Um, I'm not looking forward to four years of that. <laughs> he was checking his watch yes. at some point. Too. Which is yeah, right, which George H.W. Bush famously did in one of his debates. Um, yeah. Well, Noah, um, you were noting that in the immediate aftermath of the debate, the uh, fact-checking was uh, even more furious than usual, as if to make sure that though almost everybody had to concede that Trump had done better in this debate than the last one, no one should be under any illusions that he didn't need to be fact-checked within an inch of his life. Fact-checking, fact-checking, fact-checking. And, you know, when Rachel Maddow is your fact-checker, Rachel Maddow, who, of course, was given a, a primetime show on MSNBC precisely because she is uh, an ideologue, not because she is a fact-checker, that, 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 that's, you know, that's, that's pretty funny, uh, I thought. It is. Um, <clears throat> and it tells you precisely how well Donald Trump did. Um, just briefly to get in my thoughts on, you know, the overarching of the debate. Um, I agree with Abe for the most part that, uh, Trump was very good. Um, I think he did a little worse than Abe is giving credit for on the Hunter Biden stuff. He made an absolute hash of it. And he it, it's a difficult story to relate, even if you know all the details, but the president did not do that. And he got lured into talking about his taxes and his tax returns and got very, deep in the weeds on that for a good 15, 20 minutes in the, in the, at the end of the first hour. And that really derailed his otherwise scintillating performance, but where he won, where I think he, it matters most, if it matters at all is an exchange over COVID. He won in exchange with Joe Biden over COVID. He effectively and comprehensively and, and sympathetically related what we have to do in the midst of this pandemic, which is not live in the basement for the rest of our lives. Um, I, I thought it was the most compelling uh, exploration of our thinking on, along these lines that I've ever heard him do. Um, and not just, you know, low bar, like objectively, he did especially well. And I, would, I just want to say, I just want to quickly say, though, that uh, he planted a time bomb for himself because once again, he could he can't resist the fabulism that is his stock and trade so he had to say there's going to be a vaccine in two weeks and then Kristen welker said really there's going to be a vaccine in two weeks he said well by the end of the year and there are two companies and then she said there are two companies and then he named four companies and clearly there's not going to be a vaccine in two weeks and there's not going to be a vaccine by the end of the year uh and he's just you know, he was just tap dancing and kind of making stuff up. And, I, you know, that is not a good thing to make stuff up about. I think saying people in America don't have the luxury to stay in their basements like you do, Joe. They've got to get going and get their lives back together and get our economy back on track. And and kids aren't getting this, so we have to reopen schools was great. But then saying we're turning a corner when we're actually seeing an increased caseload and, a, and, an, uh, and an upward trend in, in, in deaths. 
and saying we're going to get a vaccine, you know, that's something he can be hit on from now until the election. Uh, if there's no evidence of it, you know what's going to happen is that Redfield and Fauci or whatever, people are going to very gingerly say, no, 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 we don't really have a vaccine yet. Yeah, well, it's 11 days. The election's in 11 days. Yeah. It doesn't, well, it doesn't matter. And he, I mean, he stepped on real good news, which is that remdesivir was just approved as a treatment, a therapeutic, right? I mean, this was... Well, he kind of said it, but that, but that, it didn't that, come that was too... Right, it was too... Was too hard, but but uh, I mean, he said I I got treated and I'm better, and so can you be if you get it. And he could have said, I mean, he said during the return to the White House that he, he was going to do what he could to make remdesivir free and all of that. But I I just think that that he was he was the most the best he's ever been in a debate on the COVID question until he made up this cock and bull story about how there's a vaccine coming in two weeks. Because right. he loves that two-week thing. The healthcare yeah. plan is always going to be released in two weeks. Is going to release mm-hmm. his tax returns in two weeks. Two weeks is like, you know, 40 days and 40 nights in the Bible for Trump. You know, it's a it's a time period of some indeterminate length that is not that far off, but could also be never. Can we um, just for a moment, just real quick, uh, since the fact checkers never fact check Biden, I just as someone who endured the hell as a as an independent contractor of Obamacare health health plans and losing a good health plan and paying more for a worse one. The idea that Biden would stand there and tell a bald faced lie about how nobody lost their health care under Obamacare, that infuriated me and infuriated a lot of people I saw, you know, kind of discussing yeah. the debate. I, after. I think the number the number of Americans who lost that lit, literally had their health care canceled was four point eight million. Yeah. Not just People that, who, yeah. but subsequent investigations have determined that even as members of the administration, including the president, were saying you're going to keep your health plan, they were preparing for massive losses of private health plans that didn't comport with the coverage standards of Obamacare. Right. It, was, it wasn't just an oopsie. This was a concerted effort to mislead the American public for a political design, but it Abe, wasn't that, obviously. Abe, no, Abe you've been right. trying to you've been Sorry. trying to get in there, Abe. Oh, I just want to say, in addition to, I, I agree with Noah that um, uh, Trump won the debate on COVID, but I think also Trump covered his other weak spot very well, the the the, the place where he could um, really go wrong and didn't last night, which was on racial strife and on racism. Um, I thought he acquitted himself pretty pretty well. I mean, he he talked about um, opportunity zones and prison reform and funding for black colleges and had as sincere a a sort of explanation or a breakdown um, as I've seen from him on uh, uh, his sort of um, regret about the public perception of him as a racist. I, I it didn't it didn't seem. Um, as preposterous as it as it can coming from his mouth. Well, and he talked about actual policy solutions, Tim Scott's bill, for example, whereas, you know, Biden just meandered into this like hoodie principle where it's like, you're going to be gunned down if you walk out of your house in a hoodie. And I had to have the same talk with my kids. I mean, it was completely, I guess that's empathy, Joe, that we were seeing at that moment, but it didn't really answer the question and it didn't offer something that's a real opportunity. I mean, I really, I was so happy to hear him name check the Tim Scott bill because that's a real piece of legislation. doesn't get enough attention. Um, and it can do concrete things for the communities that, that the Joe Biden uh, part of this country keeps claiming they speak for and keeps claiming they want to help, but is as far as I can see, and, not doing and, it. And he had, and he handled the black lives matter question. Well, too, mm-hmm. uh, they said, you know, you would describe them as, I don't know what hateful or something. And he said, look, my first exposure to them was they were talking about killing cops. Yeah. But but he, again, undercut his own effectiveness with this ludicrous Abraham Lincoln self-comparison. Oh, absolutely. Of course. And so, you know, and so that's the thing. It's like he takes three steps forward. And then I wouldn't exactly say he takes two steps back, but it's like he takes three steps forward. And then he does this giant <laughs> sidestep and then handed Biden this this funny moment where he could say, and, you know, with Abraham Lincoln over here. Mm-hmm. And then um, because he has a sense of humor when he wants to make a joke, but apparently has no sense of humor when somebody else is making a joke at his expense, he said, I, I'm not Abraham Lincoln. Like he thought that he had 
trapped Biden in right. senility and that Biden was referring to him as Abraham Lincoln as opposed to, you know, get a load of Abraham Lincoln over here. Right. And I, that was the weirdest moment in the debate was them talking about whether or not he was Abraham Lincoln and Biden then sort of having to explain the joke a little bit. But we let, let's do a little Biden fact checking because, you know, we may be doing this for the next four years. So we might I've as well. I've been doing this get, all morning. Yeah, I know. And let's get started now. So okay. we already have the fracking thing. Right, right. Where he says, please fact check me. And the president obliged. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know why he did that. It was a complete error. And then the president, as Christine alluded to, uh, got him to reiterate, it's not a new position, but reiterate his opposition to the oil industry. So we want to phase out transition from the oil industry was the quote um, to which, you know, the progressives on Twitter and in the press said, well, yeah, obviously, I mean, that's just sound policy, but the uh, campaign has been walking it back ever since. Uh, Kate Benningfield, his deputy campaign manager, said he didn't mean that. He's just talking about getting rid of fossil fuel subsidies. In fact, Biden himself said that. And the press has been going to work massaging these comments into something uncontroversial. You had the AP uh, saying, you know, what he was really talking about is uh, the U.S. having a net zero greenhouse emissions by 2050. And it's all, you know, he was really you're contextualizing him almost like you have to take him seriously and not literally. Um that wasn't the only moment either where he was talking about uh, Christine also said Obamacare's insurance mandates, which is insane. Um, the notion that the United States had a friendly relationship with Nazi Germany prior to the invasion of, I guess, Czechoslovakia or, uh, or Poland, whatever his claim was there is just sort of insane. Um, the notion that the minimum wage for example, has never closed a business. He said there's no evidence that an increase in the minimum wage has ever closed a business that is demonstrably false. Uh, and um, one in particular that was, that's that been very frustrating to me is CBS News had this fact-checking thing um, where they go through, and nine-tenths of it is all about Trump. But one of them was about Joe Biden, where he said, we did not separate children from families. The Trump administration alleged, Donald Trump said, you know, where did the cages come from, Joe? Um, which is something you can contextualize, but the CBS said this claim that Biden said, we did not separate children from families. He said the Trump administration did is true, um, but it's not. And they've used the claim misleading in a variety of other ways, including in their very own fact check where they link to the Associated Press and say the Obama administration only separated migrant children from families under certain limited circumstances, which is, of course, in, in, in accordance another with the Flores yes. decision, which is another way of, which is saying, another way of saying yes. yes so, I put this out, so I put this out on Twitter and the universe comes down around my shoulders for not acting like a flack for Joe Biden saying, you know, there's not a lot. You, you're obviously misleading here. This is decontextualizing. And yes, it is, because it's just a false claim. It's not a misleading claim to say, you know, that this, this obviously did happen. It says it in the fact check, but there's this bizarre thing that happens on, particularly on social media, where if you're, if you're calling balls and strikes like this, you're altering the trajectory of the universe. You are contributing to outcomes that are unthinkable as if you, you matter. None of you matter. None no, of no, you people no, are even no, remotely relevant. No, but you are, because the idea is that if you do not state an every moment, if every breath that comes out of your mouth doesn't say Donald Trump lies about everything, and then you talk about somebody else lying about something, you are implicitly giving Donald Trump a pass on his lies. And that, of course, is absurd because we are looking at, you know, a, a significant likelihood that Joe Biden is going to be president of the United States. And the dishonest things that he says about the policies that he is going to enact will have very substantial consequences. And so you fact check if you're actually a serious person engaged in the act of fact checking, the purpose of fact checking is to say whether or not people are telling the truth. And as it happens, it is increasingly more important for the public to understand what it is that Biden is saying that is not true and that he's saying for you know practical political reasons. In other oh. words, he said he would ban frack. First, he said he said absolutely that he would ban fracking on public lands. He agreed on various occasions that he would ban fracking. And then once he secured the nomination, he wanted to etch a sketch himself. Which is fine. Like that's that was the phrase that was used by Romney's uh, 
communications director in 2012 to say you can basically how you pivot to the center in, in the general election. You tack to the right, you tack to your ideological extreme to gather people in, and then you basically shake up the etch-a-sketch and you can redraw yourself. But when you're called on it, you can't say, I never did it. What you can say is that, um, you know, uh, as we looked at the policy or this or that, we're, we are going to transition and we have to blah, blah, blah. But you can't say you didn't say it when there's tape on you that says it. And And for fact checkers to say, as I saw various people saying that Biden does not want to ban fracking, he may not, because since May or since April, he's been saying he doesn't want to ban fracking, but he said something different beforehand. Well, and I think it's important in this context, he's constantly bringing up, and he brought it up again last night in the debate, uh, in order to quell people's concerns about the idea that he's going to be captive to the the more extreme uh, part of his party, he keeps saying, oh, I beat those guys in the primary. The whole reason I won is that I'm not as extreme as that. But then when he but then he's also lying about what got him the nomination. Like he actually had to embrace some of those more extreme positions in order to navigate the nomination. And now right. he's not he's choosing not to do what politicians have always done, as you say. He is just look, he is uniquely fortunate in his rival because he because Trump does lie more than he does and Trump lies more than any president has ever lied before and so Biden has told a bunch of lies and told a bunch of lies last night and Trump's there are more Trump lies but as I say this is not because it's what's it's it's unfair to only fact check Trump and not fact check Biden Biden is going before what maybe 150 million people, or now it's going to be 100 million people since 50 million people have already voted and asking to be their president. And journalists who are trying to figure out what, who and what, where the mendacity is, in an odd way, should be more inclined to fact check Biden at this point because he's winning. And if you accept that he's winning, then his then his dishonesties are going to matter come 2021 in a way that Trump's won't, since Trump is more likely to be out of office than in. But this goes to your blog post point, right? They don't necessarily think he's winning, or at least they won't allow themselves to think he's winning. Right. Well, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. so I have a blog post up now called uh, Trump's Juju, and it, the, basically it says that both liberals and conservatives can't liberals are terrified that Trump is going to figure out some magical way to win the election and that they can't believe the polls and they can't believe what the, the information is right before their eyes because they don't understand how he won the first time. They don't understand why anybody is, why anybody supports him. And they don't really want to believe that, that, you know, everybody who supports Trump is a monster, which is what they think of anybody who supports Trump really so it's that he has the power to cloud men's minds and do no, funny I, things, to, right? And then I the other, this, yeah. I encountered this today with the the whole CBS thing, where I was going off on CBS and on well, didn't go off. I just noted that it was yeah. contradictory, and then somebody came out and was like, "Listen, this it, it accused me of being basically bamboozled by Donald Trump and tacitly right. supporting him, even unconsciously right. supporting him, right?" And then, and then been, conservatives have been mesmerized, right? And then conservatives in the reverse. Uh, look at a poll that has Trump down by four, and they're like, "Aha, we got him just where we want him," because <laughs> he's not down by eight. I mean, that's you know, they look at polls where Trump's losing, and because the margin isn't double digits, they're like, "Well, he, he must be winning," because they also believe that he has some you know magical powers and magical sauce, and that is Occam's razor says if every poll says that Biden is going to win and every poll says that Biden is winning mostly outside the margin of error and a few polls say that he's not and maybe he can pull it off in some states and maybe he can't you sort of go with Occam's razor uh it was actually not going with Occam's razor that got everybody uh baffled last time because the idea then was don't look at all the evidence that says it's a close race. There's no way people are going to vote for this guy once they have to go into the ballot. But once they go into the ballot box 
and they have to pick and they'll think of Axis Hollywood and they'll think of this and then and then how he insults people and talks about gold star families and Mexican judges and they 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 just won't be able to do it. Whereas they were telling posters, yeah, we might we might be able to do it, you know. And you know what? In states where we're, we're really going to put them over the top, you're not even polling, so you don't even know what we're doing. And so it was in 2016 that people ignored the evidence, and in 2020 they're now ignoring. Uh, they weren't ignoring. I mean, they were they were ignoring the evidence in favor of a feeling, and now they're ignoring the now they're ignoring the evidence in favor of feeling in an entirely different way. Which is that um, they they think that things are closer than they probably are on on both sides, um, and so it's a we're, it's a it's a weird position to be in. I'm sensing. I will say this: that this thing I was describing with liberals, this terror, this fear that you know Trump's got some magical ability to turn this around in the next eleven days. Uh, the debate may be the tipping point at which that they stop believing that, that I'm sussing out a little bit of a feeling that he had his last shot. He didn't, he didn't do it. You know, he didn't crush Biden. There's nothing left. This Hunter thing isn't going to work. Maybe if that worked, Ooh boy, we'd be in trouble, but it's not going to work. It's too complicated. The guy who's accusing him is kind of sleazy. And anyway, whatever Hunter did, this connect all the connections to Joe. If the deeper you get into the story, all the connections to Joe are wildly suggestive and and with no with no connect. And then the final, I think, thing about this, and I'm saying this, I know that people listening are gonna get mad at me because they want to believe it is that the whole China story and the story of this work in China that Hunter was going to do and give money to the big guy or whatever, according to big guy being Biden, according to uh, Dr. Tony Bumbats of the, of the of adult friend finder fame. Uh, yes. This guy whose name again, I can't remember uh, ran a porn Bobol- company. Bobolinsky ran a porn company in, in Asia. Uh, that was then taken over by adultfriendfinder.com. So uh, he said he wanted this, he wanted, they were doing this, they were doing that. It didn't happen. The deal fell apart. It's possible or even probable that Hunter Biden got a no interest loan from some Chinese business, but there was no business in China. The the, the deal didn't happen, which is why he's angry because he thought he was going to get a payday and there was no payday. Uh, regarding the end of the of the liberal panic over yeah. the possibility of Trump actually pulling it off, um, I think you're right. But what if over the next few days we see that the debate did move the in polling did move the needle to some extent? Well, sure, uh, sure. If it if, if it shows that, then it shows that. I mean, I do think that that. But then I think the panic is back on. I mean, you know. Right, but I I do think that that um, in, that snap polling does suggest that people's minds are made up. Meaning, fifty one percent of people are going to vote for Biden, <laughs> you know, or fifty two percent are going to vote for mm-hmm. Biden. Uh, and we do have all this other evidence, like suggestive other evidence, right? This Gallup number that fifty six percent of people say that Trump what is it does not deserve to be president or doesn't deserve to be reelected will, should not be yeah should not they will not cast a vote for Trump, whatever something like that so it's not it's not the head to head question it is 56% saying no and then all these people saying they want and all these biden poll numbers over 50 and the reason this matters is i know we only have we don't have national elections we only have state elections but trump can't prevail if biden's national number is over 50 and as Jonathan last said at the bulwark yesterday, if 150 million votes are cast with those numbers, then 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 he'll he'll get swamped. Uh, Trump will get swamped in in all these places because the the wildly increased turnout is going to be Democratic turnout or you know disproportionately Democratic turnout. So that's why I don't know. I mean, I just think like. 
I think the Juju story may be moving on. And then the question is, because there are two elements of the right wing's feel or you know our the stuff that we share which is the horrible suppression of this story and the idea of like playing the refs to have them call it a foul before anyone even before the play is even called and 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 to like put people in the penalty box and throw you know all of that that's one thing and that goes on but people are going to be script a friend of mine said that the interesting thing is Biden wins and Barisma and Hunter could become the great white, could become the white whale of the right for the next four years, sort of like white water. I was going to say white water, yeah. (laughs) or, or, Or something where they, they look at this in a fashion that is so granular that you can't even understand what they're saying, even if you've read 25 books on the subject and they know that he did it and they know this and they know that and they know the other thing and everybody else in the country is like, I don't know, I guess it's kind of sleazy, but I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. There's an aspect of this that's actually um, rather frustrating uh, from the perspective of somebody in the press. So Tom Winter, who's an NBC reporter, is a really nice guy, good guy, sharp reporter, and I've not detected him to be particularly biased in one direction or the other has been talking about, and NBC News is writing about this, that they've been doing their best to get their hands on a copy of Hunter, Biden, Hunter Biden's hard drive from Rudy Giuliani and are unable to do so. And yet you see Kim Strassel in the Wall Street Journal get a hold of these documents and do a pretty effective out, outlining of what the case is here. One that I think is is inherently flawed if the objective is to get Joe Biden because Joe Biden is ungettable from the information that she she has here. So quite clearly, Hunter Biden was trading on his name and, and had only that to offer, according to Kim Strassel's reading of this of these emails, these texts in this deal. Um, but Joe Biden is, is, uh, is not somebody who's implicated in this, even according to Strassel's own writing. He's just distant from it. Maybe he's got some, maybe in the background, he was tacitly approving of this use of, his, of the family name, but that's not proven or demonstrable. And the fact that they won't, let independent journalists get their hands on this material to verify it one way or the other stinks. It really does. And if you're going to complain about mainstream media bias, this is not an example of it. If they're trying to cover it and you won't let them, that's not bias. Right. In this case, right. But it's the social media companies are, are, are guilty of the, yes, of are course. guilty of the bias. That's that to this, to this, as of this recording, right. still blocking uh, the New York post's account. Right. Um, and have gone so far as to block members of the administration and Republicans right. and Hogan Gidley now. Uh, it, it, they're completely out of control. Right. Okay. So let us uh, let us work from the presumption that the debate, that, uh, that Trump won the debate, but it's not going to change things. And Biden is, is, is moving inexorably toward election day. And uh, and beyond, and uh, maybe the next president of the United States. Uh, it's going to be really bad. The Biden presidency. I mean, it's gonna ha- it's gonna have an entirely a wildly different character, right? Because he's not going to tweet, and uh, you know it'll it'll ne- they'll never be that. That's that's all going away. That's that's the campaign promise that he is going to fulfill. He is going to stay in the basement or whatever, um, and he's not going to tweet, and there's not going to be social media and attacks and all that. Um, but what we heard was some really. We are getting a sense of how left wing his agenda really is, and from our perspective, that would mean that it was really bad. Um, Trump had this another great moment, I thought, when Biden said, we need to help these small businesses. They're struggling. Millions of them are closing. So we got to increase the minimum wage, which is a little like saying, these buildings are on fire. Let's pour gasoline on them. Because, you know, uh, you know, attaching a, a mandate that increases labor costs, which are the single largest cost of any running any business, a federal mandate to increase labor costs, uh, you know, across all 50 states is terrible policy. And Trump, for the first time in his presidency, articulated a very sense, I thought, 
said, you can't do that. Like realities are different in every state. This is stuff that should happen and, you know, at a level at every state. And, and, and you can't do that. You can't, you know, like that. And Biden didn't know what he was talking about because Biden, of course, knows nothing about economics. And every time that Biden said something needed to be done, he said, well, you know, labor unions support this. Great. Labor unions support it. Labor unions are what are keeping children locked in their homes and unable to go to school is the teachers unions. That is why it's happening in all these cities when there is no possibility of very little possibility of teachers getting COVID from their students. This is all, it's all nonsense. And uh, labor unions, like seven, eight, nine percent of people in the United States work for labor unions. 90% don't. It's wonderful that he's invoking labor unions there's a reason that the number of people represented by labor unions went down from like 25% to below 10% now. People don't want to be in them. People don't like them. And they are destructive rather than helpful in a lot of ways. And we are looking at a presidency that is going to essentially be run with the idea that the people that you want to ask how to run the economy are labor unions. Yeah, but Biden doesn't know what he's talk- uh, talking about on this matter. It's true because when Trump said accurately that if there's an across-the-board um, raise in minimum wage to $15, um, it, it, it means that small businesses will lay off employees because they can't afford to keep all of them on at that rate. Biden's rejoinder to that was, there is no evidence that raising the minimum wage will close businesses which was not exactly not what the, right. right was not what Trump said. Trump said people will be out of work. Well, and then and then there was that weird pivot Biden made from that to well we'll just bail them all out. And that's where I I there was a huge missed opportunity for Trump to really drive home the tax point because people do care about what their tax burden is going to look like in a in a Biden administration and the more he talked about like a, the amazing, you know, windmills he was going to construct and all the green energy stuff and then he was talking about the minimum wage i was just literally seeing dollar signs scrolling and like imagining what i'm going to pay in taxes in a year and a half and and that uh, Trump should have discussed that. He should have been better about that. And he should have he could have also pivoted to, well, first we got to deal with the 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 relief that that the Democrats are currently blocking and preventing from going through with COVID relief. And now you're talking about bailing out small businesses and then you want to do the Green New Deal. How will you pay for this? That should have been a huge topic of the debate last night and, and it was a big missed opportunity for Trump. I mean, the funny part about this, of course, is that is that during uh, t- 2019, uh, Biden was running against so maniacal, lunatic, psychotic ideas, macroeconomic ideas that when he said, how much is that going to cost about, you know, Elizabeth Warren's healthcare plan or, or whatever, or the Green New Deal, he was like the right winger on stage. And then now he's saying, we need to kill the oil industry transition because you know what's going to create a lot of jobs? Solar and wind. You know how long we've been hearing about solar? 50 years. Let me tell you a quick story. My apartment building when I was growing up, 924 West End Avenue, Mrs. Robert Redford was a big solar energy activist, and her friend lived in our building, and we got solar panels on the roof of our building to be one of the first buildings to attempt to have solar heating of our water. And I, there are pictures of me standing by the solar heating panels. I did a science project on it in 11th grade about how solar was going to work and all this. These panels sat on this building for five years. They never worked. Now, fine, that was the 1970s. I'm just saying we had apartment buildings attempting to use solar power in 1972. It's 2020, 2021. This is not a functioning, workable technology for an advanced industrialized well, and, economy. And even worse, we have and we have a perfect again another missed opportunity for Trump, but you know, remember Solyndra? Remember that? Remember the half a billion dollars that the Obama administration gave to this complete, you know, basically Ponzi scheme of, scheme of an energy company? We've tried this way and it has not worked and it's cost taxpayers money. So again, when when Biden's talking like this, I just keep thinking how much is it going to cost and who's going to hold him to account for the cost? Because it's certainly not the media. And to just speak to something you both said, uh, you guys have been circling around earlier. I am very concerned. I'm obviously concerned about the tech platforms. 
But the habits of mind that have been cultivated for the past four years in the mainstream media have, have, are going to have really um, deleterious effects in their coverage of Joe Biden, because I'm not sure they're going to be able to get out of this protective uh, approach that they have taken to him, um, because he will literally have been the guy who rescued the world from Donald Trump. And I just don't see, with the rare exception of the journalists that like Noah cited, there are some good journalists out there who will do their job. But the institutions for which they're doing those jobs also have a vested interest in protecting Biden's, you know, uh, hero type aura that we're seeing already. So here's how that might work to in, an, in a way that advantages Republicans. Um, and I can see that happening. I, I, I agree. I don't think they're going to be able to to decouple themselves from this protective instinct they have towards Joe Biden. But his left flank is just as vicious about Joe Biden and will be about Joe Biden's presidency. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is off the team. She is now advocating for everybody in New York state to vote, not Democratic, but to vote along the working families party line. In New York state, you're allowed to run on two separate ballot lines for two separate parties, same candidate, same ticket. And the ticket that Democrats are running on the Democratic line and also the working families line. So she is advocating expressly and specifically that to vote against Democrats. Um, that ain't going to fly when all hands are needed on deck. At a certain point, she's going to wear out her welcome with the real homers. And there are plenty of real homers in the press for the Democratic Party. Um, and not necessarily just progressive politics, but the party apparatus itself. And if she becomes a detriment to that, she might go over the bar, uh, overboard too, which would be protective towards Joe Biden, but also in a way that I think Republicans wouldn't uh, be disadvantaged by. Well, that's a really interesting. I mean, the question of whether or not it's going to be the war of all against all, uh, you know, uh, in the in the Democratic Party uh, with a Biden victory um, is, I think, it, it's almost it almost goes without saying that the uh, kinds of tensions that existed between the establishment Republicans and the Tea Party are going to be exacerbated, you know, times a billion. Uh, when the Democratic Party is in power and the idea is let's do everything we possibly can as fast as we possibly can because who knows how long we'll have power. And then, of course, the others who are like, well, we did, we never really wanted to do some of these things anyway. And then you are going to see the very online world erupt against Biden. And Noah, you're depending upon the uh hackery of the press the democratic oh, yeah. hackery of the press never, to protect to protect biden i never think biden's got, before i um, don't think biden has any protectia whatsoever here's another data point to toward that effect which dovetails with what you just said john the kind of the growing pains that republicans went through in 2013 to 2016 um senate democratic committee is begging for money they're, they don't have enough donors. They don't have enough donations. They've got a lot of competitive races. They're playing offense everywhere. And they're struggling. Um, but third-party groups aren't struggling. The grifter groups aren't struggling. They're drowning in money. That's going to become a problem. One that Republicans encountered with the grifter packs, with the scam packs in 2015, 2016, 2014. Um, and Democrats haven't had to confront that problem yet. But they might. They might very soon. Um, these are again. If if you're, I, I really feel like banking on the hackery of the press is is not a bad bet. Um, but the objective here to maintain uh, democratic primacy in, in things like voting totals and fundraising rates for campaign committees. I mean, that's that's those are prime directives. Yeah, but 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 remember that what the AOC wing has is the social justice cause. And that is very hard for the mainstream media to deal with. I'm sorry, you're not allowed to call her AOC. I don't think we're included in yes. her people. I'm so. sorry, the Honorable <laughs> Alexandria Ocasio hyphen Twitter handle, but you're not Cortez, QC PhD LLJ LL Cool J. Um, even though you know, I understand we're supposed to refer to her by her formal title. While she's on Twitch playing video games, mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, I, I have nothing against her playing video games on Twitch, but you know the informality of that uh, seems to suggest that it's okay to call her AOC. Anyway, uh, 
having a brand like that is something she should not uh, reject because people spend 30 years trying to get that kind of name recognition and familiarity. But nonetheless, all I'm saying is she, they have, they, they can do the, Oh, you don't, you're not listening to us. Cause I'm a Latin, uh, I'm, I'm a Latinx uh, woman. Uh, really? You're going to ignore me now. Uh, you're, you're, you're ignoring the Latinx coalition. You're ignoring, uh, you know, Rashida Tlaib and Ilan Omar and their concerns. I mean, what kind of mansplaining is going on here? And that I think is the sort of thing that can throw when, but the hacks on their heels. So the, but the antagonist in that scenario would be the sitting democratic president. That's right. He Trump? No, he no. The, the political objective here is to support the Democratic Party's this president. This is this is this is where the rubber meets the road. Where you become a candidate, you become president. If he becomes president, because people don't want the other guy to be president. Uh, I don't that, know. I, in, in a, in a, you think in they're going to love him? You think they're going to defend? You think they're going to protect him? The compelling I, power of ideology versus political raw political power. I would go with power every time. Mm, okay, well, you know, that's a the, this is a good fight. I mean, this is an interesting fight to have that they that they there, side with power. Well, there are I'm, new there are new troops coming in on the AOC side too. We shouldn't forget. I mean, the the little mini uh, social media scandal of the most recent uh, uh, would be squad member Cory Bush is that she said, "Oh, just think of all the wonderful social services we're going to be able to fund when we defund the Pentagon." And as <laughs> she said, she, and she's she's deadly earnest, and it reminded me. Actually, it was funny because it was like all the blue check marks on Twitter last night who were appalled, appalled that Donald Trump would liken a human being to a coyote. They clearly have never watched any sort of yeah. drug movie or like uh, people were joking, like, do they know that, what the drug the are? It was hilarious. They thought he meant literal coyotes. They don't know that coyotes By the are way, human traffickers. <laughs> I, I took that as another surprise that he that he knew the term and was yeah. so familiar, familiar with it. How do you not? We've been talking about immigration for a decade and a half. How do you not know right. what a human trafficker is? Uh, you, you even proximity to this debate, you should be aware of these these terms. Well, but I thought that was extremely revealing of the people who consider this, um, themselves experts on Trump's border policy choices don't even know what the word coyote means. <laughs> okay, can we get back to one final thing, which is uh, people have been saying it. I don't want to like sound like some kind of a scold or something, but we had two presidential debates and a vice presidential debate. We should have had three, but okay. So we had, we had three instead of four in which the only mention of any issue outside the United States was who paid you off in China, who paid you off in Ukraine. You're too nice to Putin. Why were you too, why were you so nice to, to uh, Kim in, in North Korea the president's dominion over foreign policy is the most important aspect of the presidency of the United States. It is, the, it is the source of his greatest power, his greatest authority. And the fact that the press corps in the, in the person of Chris, of, of, um, of Chris Wallace in, on the one hand and uh, Kristen Welker on the other. And I can't even remember who <laughs> did the vice presidential debate now in the third like figuring that, yeah, whatever. Well, to her, yeah, I mean, it is. The American public doesn't care as much about foreign it policy. It doesn't they do matter. Policy. But to her credit, she did try to pivot to North Korea and was steamrolled. And then it should, they just never got back to it. But she did. Yeah, but like it. 2017 wants its issue back. Like, I'm fine <laughs> talking about North, but you know, we have a transformation going on in the Middle East. We have uh, we have the United States locked in some you know multi year battle with Maduro in in Venezuela. We have all you know we have stuff in the South China Sea that isn't about Chinese trade. We have all kinds of things that you people can use to judge the fitness of a candidate for the presidency on that were simply ignored uh, in these what is it? it was like uh, four and a half hours um and that is appalling well, and it's another sign of oh krista wilker so wonderful oh what a wonderful moderator she was so fantastic she was so fantastic because she asked the same topic questions in this debate as were asked in the other 
debates, pretty much. Well, foreign policy was supposed to be on the slate for the second debate. This was, right. No, the second debate was the town hall. This was supposed to be the foreign policy debate. I, I, I thought the one that was canceled was supposed to be foreign no, policy. No, that was the town hall. I, that I, was I take supposed it back. to be the empathy. Okay. That was supposed to be the empathy debate. Fair enough. <laughs> anyway, so... Um, there was a... Um, the United States executed a drone strike in Syria yesterday uh, targeting uh, al-Qaeda operatives and uh, uh, jihadists. And yeah, that would have been a, a good opportunity to pick up on that war that Joe Biden will inherit. And we don't have any idea how he's going to navigate that that issue. Well, I don't yeah. think it's ever come up. And Biden also repeated the lie about the bounties on American soldiers story at the debate last night. I don't know if that's a lie. Well, the, the misleading, no, the unconfirmed, unconfirmed, mis- the yeah. unconfirmed story yeah. about the yeah about the bounties on American soldiers. Um. So yes, it's time to start getting. But very, again, very- I mean, one more thing. This is the Donald Trump like missing an opportunity. He was during that exchange. He could have talked. It was about, you know, what have you done about Russia and these Russian trolls and the election security, what have you, right? I mean, he could have talked about how his administration has been executing offensive cyber operations against Russian troll farms. I, I mean, it's, it's in the Washington Post. It's not hard to find. But he, he I don't even know if he knows the contours of the issue. Right, if right. he does, he doesn't, right. it doesn't come well, to Well, he said, I'm the hardest on Russia. Right. I mean, that's what he but said. He, he did it, you're supposed to take that. He did it exactly in the way that Noah cites him doing, which is he referenced yeah. it without going into it. That, that, was, that right. was what he did. Yeah. Right. So, yes, it's time to start getting very worried about the uh, Biden presidency and to start mobilizing our facts and our issues and our... Uh, arguments uh, against uh, against the uh, the uh, the dark time that is coming that uh, Biden attributed to uh, COVID, and that I think he was more right about than than Trump was on that front. But the a dark time is coming for everybody who believes in um, uh, economic liberty, uh, religious liberty, and liberty in general, uh, and and uh, and does not wish to have their lives encroached upon. Uh, by overweening uh, government. Um, So we will have our work cut out for us. And I leave you with those cheery thoughts until Monday. uh, I'm John Podhoritz with Abe, Noah, and Christine. Keep the candle burning.